welcome to Enter the Glory Zone with me, Dr. Edith Davis, on 94.1 FM, Wave 94. Spiritual believers and listeners, as you know, I've been spending the last several um, broadcasts talking about how to divorce, proof your marriage, and then last Friday, I had a word straight from the throne about the Great Awakening. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Great Awakening. As I said earlier in the earlier broadcast last Friday, that we had Great Awakening number one, which basically was basically based in the prayers of Count Zinfandel and some great men of God, the Wesley brothers and um, George Whitfield and others. But one of the things that people don't understand is, is that um, um, Countess, I think it's Huntington, she financed um, George Whitfield. She also financed um, the first African-American evangelist, also um, the poet, um, the African-American female poet, um, my name just evaporated out of my head just now, but Whitney, yes. And so she was a mighty force used by God to plant the seeds, enabling men and women of God to plant seeds and go out and do great exploits for the kingdom of God. And so a lot of people don't understand that there are people in the background that are taking their finances that God has blessed them with for, and using it for the kingdom of God. As I said earlier in the earlier broadcast, basically a great awakening um, doesn't feel good sometimes and it doesn't look all that wonderful until the end. And um, George Whitfield suffered persecution from his fellow believers. Matter of fact, a lot of people don't realize that they wouldn't even permit him to speak in a church. That's how he ended up um, being speaking out in the open fields, which was awesome because he's, he had a great voice. And ben, um, Benjamin Franklin was actually another one of the wealthy men who basically gave money to the kingdom to George Whitfield. And an interesting story. Um, you know, Ben Franklin and George Whitfield were, were very cl- good friends, close friends. And a lot of people try to paint the picture that, um, Benjamin Franklin was an atheist, but he was not. He, he had a, guess what? He got upset with the, with the, with the church he went to and he, you know, got disenfranchised for a season, but haven't we all? So, the long and short of it is, is that every time George Whitfield, he was basically raising um, money, he saw the need of the poor or- orphans, and he um, decided to raise money for an orphanage, and I think it was in Georgia or somewhere like that. And he was raising money, and every time he spoke, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin would open up his wallet and just give, give, give. 
because he just was compelled and moved by this Holy Spirit. And he he said he's going to go see George Whitfield. He knew he was going to give everything in his wallet. So he left his wallet at home and he went to listen to George Whitfield. And when it was done, Benjamin Franklin said he borrowed money from his neighbor to, and he gave to George Whitfield. But anyway, so George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers, and even in this, they eventually the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield split. Um, they had an Armenian, um, more of the inner um, free will. Um, you you choose basically um, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then um, George Whitfield was more. Concern about um, basically um, behavior, behavior, behavior. You know, you need to walk holy. You need to live holy. Um, and so they they eventually split and went their separate ways. And the Wesley brothers founded the Methodist Church. And um, George Whitfield founded the Baptist Church, I believe it was. But as as they progressed... And continued awakening, awakening the colonies and these mighty men and women of God rose up from these, from this, this, um, life of pure sacrifice because a lot of people don't realize that George Whitfield eventually died from just pouring his life out as a drink offering to the Father because he traveled so much and he, didn't get enough rest and he, cause he was always pushing it and trying to reach one more soul for the kingdom of God. That in the end, you know, he was actually, I think, coughing up blood. I, I was told and eventually he, he just perished because his body was worn out. So, and, and that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to go out like that. And that's another story in itself, but. And then the Wesley brothers, like I said, went on to find the Methodist Church. And it was in the Methodist Church where there were 17 Methodist preachers in a period of consecration and great prayer that they were, had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like, like in Pentecost in the beginning of the first century church. And there was an African American, um, um, per, a pastor that they, um, poured into. And he also spoke in tongues, had the, had the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he went on to Los Angeles, California and Azusa Street. And we have the, so there's <laughs> so many great things that, um, that came out of the first great awakening, it is always transgenerational. Um, George Whitfield touched Samuel, the two Samuel, um, Dr. George Cooper, and these men in turn touched men like Quincy Adam, Patrick Henry, um, give me liberty or give me death. Um, so, um, it, Phyllis Whitley, um, the poet, the great poet. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uncle Tom Cabin. 
basically um, came out of basically a the second great awakening. But we'll talk about that. Um, and so, which actually changed the whole people's perspective of slavery and all of that. So we have the first great awakening and like I said, it's transgenerational and at the end of the first great awakening came the American revolution. And technically the, the American revolution, it was a guerrilla warfare um, and they actually defeated the British, which really wasn't supposed to happen. Right. So this was a God ordained. This nation was God ordained. God had something very special in mind when he created the America, United States of America. And it basically was supposed to represent um, heaven on earth in the sense of a diverse group of people uh, in one accord with one God and one baptism and one faith in his beloved son, Christ Jesus. And to do great exploits and for the world um, through the kingdom of God. Of course, the enemy infiltrated and it didn't work out just like the enemy infiltrated Israel and because God had great plans for Israel. That was a, it was supposed to be the nation that all nations were supposed to want to replicate. Um, and of course, there was sin that came in. And derailed um, the plans that God had for Israel and derailed the plans that God had for the United States of America. And so, but God always wins in the end. And if he can't get it in one generation, he'll get it in another. And so as we move forward in time, we move into the second Great Awakening. The first Great Awakening started in the 1700s. The Second Great Awakening started in the 1800s. Um, Harriet Beecher Stowe um, wrote Uncle Tom Cabin. A lot of people don't know that her her father was a, a great, I think, bishop um, in the Presbyterian faith, I believe it was. And she got a download um, from God to write Uncle Tom's Cabin. And Abraham Lincoln and others read it and it, it 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 changed the whole mindset of people about slavery and what it was really like. And once again, we had great men and women of God that were um, teaching and preaching the gospel and awakening the hearts and minds of people to. God the Father, the Kingdom of God, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the Lord God, Holy Spirit. And at the end of that, and there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that happened to that. There was a lot of, um, I think it's the Amish and um, and um, the Quakers and the Methodists. God's rose up a group of people that were truly anti-slavery and knew that that was not what God had ordained for mankind to do to enslave one another. And we know that 
Slavery has been around long before the United States of America. We understand that slavery is going on right now in sex trafficking, right? So their children are enslaved right now, young girls, young boys, and even the people that are in the, the sex trade itself, they're entrapped themselves. And so this is not what God wanted. God does not want, no man should be enslaved by another. So the second great awakening, um, there were the Lovejoy brothers. One had a printing printing press and he was an abolitionist. He was anti-slavery. I believe he was started off in Missouri and um, the, the white supremacist clan basically t- tore down his printing press um, not once, not twice, but three times. And the third, and then he went, the second time it was broken, he went across the border to Kansas, I believe it was. And um, he basically um, was killed, assassinated, and but he did plant the seed of a wonderful young man that would change the course of the history of the America, United States of America, which was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, his brother, and uh, his brothers, the Lovejoys, had been um, developing and grooming Abraham Lincoln and for a great work for the kingdom of God. And um, John Quincy Adams also had um, basically poured into Abraham Lincoln's life. And he did went on to become the president of the United States of America, was assassinated by Booth, who was, I believe, a white supremacist. And um, so it, it goes on. But we had, at the end of the second Great Awakening came the Civil War. And so um, I was sharing that we are in the middle, in the middle of the third Great Awakening. And we've had great generals to rise up, L.D. Moody, Billy Graham, uh, Mother Teresa, Mary Cloud Bethune, Booker T. Washington, um, these great Martin Luther King, these great men and women of God, and basically awakening mankind once again to the kingdom of God, to the things of God, and once again, the same thing that happened in the first great awakening, the same thing that happened in the second great awakening. We have the church persecuting people in the church. You know, we have the grace movement. We have the faith movement. We have, um, we have a lot of interesting things happening in the body of Christ. And now with COVID basically coming in and once again, shifting and changing our, our culture and our world. So, of course, during this time, there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of good things that happen, and there's a lot of bad things that happen. And one of the things that we're um, in the midst of is a major culture war, a major race war is um, on the horizon. And 
I listen to my brothers and sisters as they um, cry out about the injustice of it all. And where is God in the midst of all of this? So that's what I really want to talk a little bit about now. He's right here. He was there when we took, and I'm just saying metaphorically, we took his only begotten son and crucified him, put him on the cross because he died for our sins, right? God was right there as his son was in anguish and being whipped and spat on and beard plucked out. He was right there because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He already saw his son being was well, going to be raised from the dead and sitting at the right hand. He had a bigger, a bigger perspective. He wished that no man should perish. And the only thing that could save them was the blood of his son. So where is God when there is injustice? He's right there. And he still loves us. And he still cares for us. Um, a group of um, colleagues were discussing the big um, thing on CNN and on the news media now is the burning of Black Wall Street. And most people don't even know anything about Black Wall Street. But in the, in the 1900s, early 1900s, um, uh, uh, a social class of African-American, very affluent African-Americans. Basically, they owned banks. They owned oil companies. One of the um, owners sent his wife to Paris twice a year to get her her um, wardrobe for the for the seasons. So there were a group of affluent, very powerful, wealthy, African Americans, and I guess, and it caught the eye of people who were very resentful. Um, I believe, supposedly, it started with once again um, uh, a black man being in an elevator with a white woman, and he looked at her the wrong way or something like that, and and people used that as an excuse to actually destroy and kill over 300 African-Americans. And they actually had airplanes and bombed them. Um, generational wealth was lost. The sad thing about it was they covered it up. The men that were involved in this actually signed their names with their titles and positions as being a part of this. Mayors, superintendents, bankers, right? It was a very sad time in American history, just like the tear of trails of uh, the tears of trails of the American Indians, right? Um, it's it's sad. The indentured service, the the Irish, the indentured servitude of the Irish. There's nothing new under the sun. Man's inhumanity to man, right? So, back to Black Wall Street. So, in this particular case, 
we um, had the whole 300 people were massacred, surrounded in the town. They were killed because of greed and because of envy and jealousy and just pure tea evil. And it was covered up for over a hundred years. And this happened in 1921. So as I was listening to my brothers and sisters crying out over this great injustice, the Holy Spirit led me to open up their eyes and let them see something, which I think most people are not aware of. But this great injustice where people were killed and their generational wealth was stolen, taken from them, happened in 1921. Can anybody guess when the Great Depression just started? Guess what? 1929. And in my spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit say they had seven years to repent. Seven years to repent and turn from their wicked ways. And guess what? In 1929, the American people lost generational wealth. The American people as a whole had death and destruction and poverty come upon them. 1929, the Great Depression. 1921, the massacre at Black Wall Street. And why am I sharing this history with you. Let's go even further. In, I think it was Arkansas, prior to that massacre, there were a group of African-American men who went to a church to talk about better working uh, conditions for them and their people, you know, a union, quote-unquote. And it word got out, and white supremacists once again surrounded the church and started firing and the men in the church returned fire and one one white male was killed in the altercation and in retaliation for that they went out the white supremacists went out and killed over 200 african americans and that's not all the men that were in the church were rounded up and put on trial <laughs> for the murder of the one white man, and they were found guilty and put to death. It was a, basically a sham trial. But this is not new under the sun. Man's inhumanity to man is not nothing new in the sun because it comes from our enemy. Our enemy. You know, I listen to people say, well, if we killed all the black people, we wouldn't have racism. Or if we kill all the white people, we wouldn't have racism. Or we kill all the Hispanic people, we wouldn't have racism. We kill all the Asians, we wouldn't have racism. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. It, racism is a spirit. And all that spirit is going to do when you kill that body is jump into another body. Satan is really the culprit of all of this division and all of this hatred and all of this murder and all of this poverty and injustice. But rest assured, our Father, Daddy God, Abba Father, UAVI, is a God of love. 
He is also a God of justice. He's a God of mercy, but he's a God of justice. And in 1921, innocent people were killed and generational wealth was lost. And in 1929, the America, all Americans suffered generational loss of wealth and death and destruction. Why am I saying this? It's because people need to understand we serve an awesome God and he is a just God and he will have justice. But God is also merciful. And if you repent and turn from your wicked ways, he will heal your land. He will heal our land. We are in the third great awakening. And just like in the first great awakening, we had the American Revolution, just as in the end of the, at the end of the first great awakening, we had the American Revolution. At the end of the second great awakening, we had the Civil War. At the end of this great awakening, something major is going to happen. I would like to believe that my Lord Christ Jesus will be coming back on a white horse with a cloud of witnesses and defeat Satan once and for all and bring in the reign of a thousand years of the kingdom of God reigning on earth and Christ Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords reigning and ruling over this world. That's a nice thought. I know it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen at the end of the third great awakening, but something major is happening and we must keep our eyes on the prize. We must keep our eyes on Christ Jesus. As I sit in this tumultuous time of America, I seek the presence of God. I seek the presence of my Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. I just wrapped up the microspiral workshop and I gave it to my Lord God, Holy Spirit to reign over. And in the spiritual eyes, it was a, a great success. And even in physical eyes, it was a great success in many cases. It wasn't perfect. We had glitches, but wonderful men and women stepped up and shared how the microspiral multiplied. One of the stories that, or two of the stories that are very powerful, I will share that came from the microspiral multiplication factor workshop that was at Florida A&M University, Al Lawson Center, um, May 27th and 28th, that Thursday and Friday. One of the stories I want to share is Byron Morrison. Byron Morrison, I think, was one of my students in 2011. And 
He went on to do work in Atlanta area, I think Georgia area. Then he ended up in the um, outside of Detroit, Michigan, and teaching mathematics. And he used the micro spiral methodology. And the test scores in math rose. And then he got promoted and became assistant principal. And I believe he is now a principal and in a city outside of Detroit, Michigan. And he has taken this methodology and done a pilot with three more teachers that are under his leadership now. And guess what? The math scores are rising. The second um, great story, I want, well, there's one more, three. Uh, let me, okay, let me do three. One more and then, uh, and then another one. Um, Courtney, Courtney, um, was one of my students. She went on to Brownsville Preparatory School and raised up a group of children that with the microspiral methodology. Courtney now is in Southern California, I believe, working on her doctorate in educational leadership. And Courtney has been to China. Courtney has been all over the world, pretty much, and spreading the microspiral methodology. And what's, what's phenomenal is that these little three-year-old children are just, have some of the major science concepts already down in their minds. And then the last one I want to share is um, Dr. Tammy Brown in Mississippi. And Dr. Tammy Brown also took the microspiral methodology. She basically was setting up the curriculum in Canvas and for a um, school district, I believe it was, and spread it, the microspiral methodology that way. What is the microspiral methodology? It's a way of actually transferring in my case I'm interested in scientific concept knowledge and skills from the past the present and the future and it encodes it on both the left and the right side of the brain going into long term memory and using a mnemonic as a retrieval mechanism to retrieve that information out of the long term memory and guess what Mm. they're able to apply it and solve future problems well I want to close this broadcast with Romans 10 9 if you confess with your mouth Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved thank you for joining me on Enter the Glory Zone on 94.1 FM Wave 94 Dr. Edith Davis. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be.